This is the Blunt Doctor Show. On a very early morning. Very early. It's like uh, 8 in the morning. 8.30 in the morning, actually. And, uh... Yeah, man. I got up super early to deal with the garbage because it's garbage day. Because I am the garbage man on the court, whether it's cleaning up rebounds or defending. (laughs) That's not something anyone's ever called me. It just sounded like a cool thing to say right there. But literally, I got up to deal with the garbage, did that, showered, could not go back to sleep. And so we're doing an early edition of the Blunt Doctor Show. So if any news happens today, probably won't get covered because, uh, well, to be quite honest, I am, I guess the word would be sequestered in the studio right now. I'm, I mean, I'm on IG Live. I guess if someone on IG Live got my attention somehow and gave me the information, right, then maybe I would know. But I'm not surfing the web or anything other than that. So any breaking news will not be here. Breaking news will not be a part of the Blunt Doctor show. Unless someone else somehow sneaks it in. I don't know how they'll do it. I don't know why they would do it. But if they did, then there will be breaking news. As usual, I'm off topic. And there are so many things that I actually want to talk about today. So, I was planning to talk about some football stuff. And then I watched... A lot of preseason basketball last night. And there was actually so much I wanted to talk about. I was going to focus on that. And then I went through and actually had a look at my my numbers. My my season over under pick numbers for the NFL. And they were so fucking good that I couldn't skip talking about them today. So we're just going to talk about a whole bunch of things. And then we'll see how long it is when it's over. But I went through, and I went through, and I, and I this, uh, this is on my previous podcast, essentially. I was doing it and doing it incorrectly, essentially, because I wanted to do it my own way, which was stupid. But in any case, I was posting episodes to YouTube. So you can go find the video from a few months ago um, on my YouTube page, blunddoctor.com. Links to all of that stuff. So just go to blunddoctor.com. But in any case... It's out there. There's proof that I made these picks. So this is not me just coming on here and saying, oh, I did a great job. I can literally show you that I actually made the picks. In any case, my record so far, basically I've gone through and I picked the over-under for every team. So how many games each team in the NFL would win. Um, I picked each one and I went through and checked those records. Um, And basically what I found so far is that I had 18 that I have won or I am going to win nine that I have lost or I am going to lose. And then five that are still kind of up in the air, but no matter what with 32 teams and um, I've won 18 of them, I have a, a winning record. So I'm good for the year, no matter what, but I could get even better. Um, so, very exciting for me. Now, I'm going to go through real quick. Just I'll enumerate the ones that are that are where they're at. Um, 
I picked the Cardinals over seven and a half. You know, they're currently seven and six. Again, I'm taking that one. Took the Cardinals under 7.5. They're four and nine. Picked the Ravens under 11 and a half. They're eight and five. Took the Bills over nine. They're at 10. Um, the Panthers over 5.5. They're currently four and nine. So that's one of the ones I put as a maybe. The Bears, I took it under 8.5. That's currently six and seven. So that's, again, a maybe, maybe a loss, probably a loss. Um, Bengals are under 5.5. They're two and 10. Took the Browns under eight and a half. Already lost that one. Took the Cowboys over nine and a half. Already lost that one. Broncos under seven and a half. Again, that's a close one. Um, they're five and eight. I took the Lions over six and a half. Again, they're five and eight. So could go either way. Took the Packers over nine. They're already at 10 wins. Took the Texans under seven and a half. They're currently four and nine. Seems like a win. Colts over eight and a half. They're nine and four. Took the Jags under five and a half. They're one and 12. Chiefs over 11 and a half. They've already got 12 wins. Uh, Raiders under. I was long about, wrong about that. I took the Chargers over. I was wrong about that. Took the Rams under. I was way off. Those three teams, the Raiders, Chargers, and the Rams, I was, and the Cowboys as well, I was just way off, as well as the Dolphins. Um, and then the Vikings. Um, those teams all really in a row got pretty much all of those wrong. Then I got the Patriots under nine. Looks like that one's going to be correct. Uh, Saints over 10 and a half looks correct. Giants and Jets both under six and a half looks good. Eagles under nine and a half, obviously. Steelers are already over nine wins. And then the 49ers, I was way the hell off. Uh, and then Washington, I was also off because I picked under five and a half, but I got Tampa Bay uh, and the Titans both correctly. I took the over there. Tampa Bay has not gotten to 10 wins. They're over nine and a half, but their schedule is so weak. And I know that's a lot to run through and no one's going to sit there and listen and enumerate all those. My point is just sitting there listing all of them is, those are the ones I picked. So I've got, again, 18 wins, nine losses, and uh, five that could be up in the air. So I could have as many as 23 wins, depending. Looks like I'll have probably something like 20 or 21 wins, something in that area. But that, you know, if I went like 21 and 11 in my NFL over-under picks, that would be pretty awesome. You know, if you if I had bet all of them, that would be um, a solid net profit there. Um, so... You know, again, just running through all of those very quickly. Um, the point is that for this season, I felt like there were going to be, you know, a couple of outlier teams, but, um, you know, it seemed like the simple thing to do was, you know, go with talent. Because if you just, if you just look at this season and you look at the teams that are having success, you know, Tom Brady doesn't necessarily have a ton of chemistry with everyone in Tampa Bay, but they're still winning games. You know, um, the Browns have clearly for the first time a talented head coach. They've got two great running backs and they're just running the ball and pummeling people. And they have done so much more than I thought. Um, and so they're one of the teams who are just you know, playing out of their minds that I missed that talent because I thought Baker Mayfield was going to hold them back. Well, he has really come alive lately. It wasn't so great to start the season. Um, you look at the Chiefs again, you know, we knew what the Chiefs were going to do. They've done it. Um, you know, I felt like the Ravens were overrated. They were. So it's just, you know, it's been an interesting season, but, um, you know, just going based on the picks that I made and where we're at right now, looks like, you know, I would be really wise to bet my picks next season, which of course means I'm going to go like 10 and 22 next season since I did not bet all of these this year. It's a lot, honestly, to bet, 
you know, 32 over-unders. I mean, if you're going to bet, I guess if you're going to put, you know, um, several thousand dollars on over-under for a season, you could do that. But, it, you know, typically most people are going to find, you know, the ones they feel good about and split their money up amongst those. However, um, you know, the ones I would have felt really good about, um, you know, I mean, I think we all would have, and you can, you know, hear it in my previous recording if you want to, but like the Chiefs over 11 and a half, I think we knew that was going to happen. I really liked Patriots under nine. Um, you know, again, Tampa Bay over nine, nine and a half. I know they're only eight and five, but you look at the record and, you know, or excuse me, you look at the schedule and it's just, yeah. And, and, and in any case, um, all those things aside, um, I did pretty good. Oh, you know, and I did mention, <laughs> I mentioned as well that I thought both Matt Patricia and Bill O'Brien could or would be fired. So nailed those. I did many times. My one prediction, I think, in another episode I said was that Adam Gase would be fired by week six. So I got that wrong. Um, somehow <laughs> he has survived. But um, in any case, it's been a very good season for me in terms of picks. So I'm very happy. Um, and, you know, I'm going to update, obviously. I'll check back at the end of the season um, and we'll see just how many I connected on and, you know, what, a what you know, just how good it was. If it was, you know, merely good or was it supreme? Well, I guess supreme would probably be like 25. Like 25 and 7 would probably be supreme. So I'm not quite there, but I'm still very good. I could be... Again, like 21 and 11, I think is, is kind of realistic. I think it'd be pretty good. Tonight is the Raiders and Chargers game on Thursday Night Football. And that just spells ugly. You know, you got one team that's already looking at next season in the Chargers. And the Raiders, who at one point looked like they were solidly in the playoff race and then have just fallen apart the last few weeks, um, they're still in it. They are in the hunt. They're on the outside at the moment, but they are in the playoff hunt. So uh, for sure, you know, the solid bet tonight is probably on the Raiders. Uh, I haven't actually looked at what the spread is at right now. Shame on me. Uh, I wasn't really concerned. I'm not betting on this game. I wouldn't bet on this game. These two teams are way too inconsistent to figure out. But if you were hard-pressed or hard up for a bet, you're like, I got to make a bet right now. Um, you know, the Raiders are probably the, the smartest bet on this game just because they're still in the playoff race. And so they do have something to play for. And, you know, if they won their last three games, it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. But, you know, given how inconsistent the league has been overall this year, you know, you win three games in a row and you may just put yourself in position to be there and you may control your own destiny without even necessarily realizing that you would have. So, you know, play betting on the team that has more to play for is – Always a smart move. Doesn't necessarily always work out. Um, you know, we know how good Justin Herbert has been. And by the way, you know, I will say Justin Herbert has been a lot better than I thought quickly. You know, I thought, I mean, we all knew he could be good, I think, eventually. But I don't think anyone, I mean, he's just made some incredible throws. And there are flaws for sure. You know, he's, you know, he's a rookie. And he plays like one. And, and there's no shocks there at any point. But there are especially in like the Tampa Bay game, for example, he hit multiple deep throws that were like Patrick Mahomes-esque in terms of like how far they were, how perfect they were, how much on a line they were. And 
the Chargers doctor literally should be in jail. Not for what he did to Terod Taylor. I mean, for that too, but he's performed surgery drunk before. The man is a disaster. Um, but this guy is a complete joke, and somehow he's still in the league. In any case, that guy needs to be removed from the league. But that happened. Justin Herbert comes in, and I mean, he's just honestly. I just I didn't. I, I expected. I, I said in the in the other podcast that I expected him to play at some point this season, um, because you know we didn't know. You usually get the rookie in there at some point. You know, even when things go well, you know, you get him in for, you know, there's a blowout game or uh, you get him one package. You know, you get your guys in there. Um, but obviously he has taken over and, I mean, he has exceeded what I expected from him in the first season. So I think the good thing for the Chargers is that they know they're set at quarterback for the future. And that helps you make other decisions you know, a lot of people have turned on Anthony Lynn. Um, I think expecting a coach to win with a rookie quarterback is a little bit absurd. Um, so I think, you know, there's more. You know, I, I would hate to see the Chargers just fire him, but, it, you know, it seems some people seem that that seem to think that's a foregone conclusion. In any case, again, this game is all about, for the most part, do the Raiders have the will to turn this shit around, keep themselves in this playoff race? Um, and, you know, the Chargers, it's just about getting ready for next season. But in, you know, it's a Thursday night game, so it's going to be ugly. So one way or another, you know, there's going to be some kind of disaster. Who the hell knows? But, you know, Thursday night football, we really truly should just do away with Thursday night football. Like, honestly, what is the point of Thursday Night Football? Like, really? Like, who needs it? Like, who is sitting there clamoring for a Thursday Night game? Thursday nights, I honestly don't want to watch football. Number one, the games are always terrible. Number two, like, it throws everything off with the schedule. Guys have to play after, like, four days. It increases injuries. I hate Thursday Night Football. I don't understand it. Thursday Night Football should only exist if it is surrounded by, like, two bye weeks. So that you don't have to play four days after and it doesn't fuck up your entire training schedule and everything else. So if they want to increase bye weeks and keep Thursday Night Football, I'm listening. But aside from that, I really just think Thursday Night Football should be done away with. Of course it won't be because the NFL would never do away with anything that might cost them a dollar. But I just hate Thursday Night Football. And really, truthfully... More bye weeks means a longer season. Like, if you want to extend the season to 20 weeks and include some buys, like, to let guys get healthy, then do that. You know? I mean, you know, again, I'm all for the idea of getting rid of the preseason and just including more bye weeks. And I know that people say, oh, well, we need the preseason. Yeah, but if you include more games, you know, or have one preseason game, two preseason games, whatever the case may be, I would appreciate the idea of cutting out two preseason games, keeping the season 16 games in length, but adding two bye weeks so that, you know, your team gets to rest multiple times throughout the season. And then you're not losing anything in terms of revenue. Like, people are still going to watch football. And if you're adding two more weeks to the season, you're adding two more weeks worth of revenue. Sure, teams sit out, but whatever. Teams sit out in college football all the time. College football isn't 
you know, losing money one Saturday just because Alabama doesn't play. Sure, they make more money when Alabama plays, but everyone watches college football Saturday regardless of what teams don't play that weekend. And it would never change with football. People would never suddenly stop watching football just because, like, oh, you know, my team isn't playing this week. You know, people still watch. People play fantasy football. They gamble. The daily fantasy thing. I mean – just put in more bye weeks. Let guys be healthier. And that's the thing is healthier guys means a better product in the playoffs, which is the most important thing anyway. So there's a lot of things that the NFL should do. But what we know about the NFL is that they won't do anything that they should do because, you know, the NFL sucks. Roger Goodell sucks. Whatever. Let's stop talking about football and let's talk about the NBA. I watched so much preseason basketball last night and... I know that a lot of people are like, you need help. You're watching preseason basketball. You're talking about gambling on over-unders. I don't need any help. Obviously. I'm fucking 18 and 9. I need no help. I'm killing it. Had to go look at the podcast, uh, the IG Live right in the face when I said 18 and 9 there. In any case, saw a lot of things that were really interesting to me last night. I watched a lot of bad basketball. And I watched some, you know, decent basketball. But... And as much as it actually pains me to say this sentence out loud, I started with Cavs Knicks. Uh, and, you know, for, I mean, so much of this game is terrible, right? Um, we know these guys, these teams are going to be bad this season. You know, Andre Drummond is out there kind of doing whatever the hell he wants to. He's shooting threes. He's, you know, throwing crazy passes and, you know, it's just what it's whatever. I feel like Andre Drummond's gonna have like senioritis this year. <laughs> like he's in the last year of that big contract. He is probably not going to get another big one. You know, he is right now technically sort of the franchise player of the Cavs. <laughs> um, I mean, it really probably is Kevin Love, but you know what I mean. So it's just one of those things where he's gonna go nuts, <laughs> and he's just gonna, you know, again, he's gonna shoot triples and fire hook shots and do all these things. Um, and it is sad. At one point, you know, he was talking shit with Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid was trying to talk shit about how much better he was. And Drummond was like, you know, this dude hasn't even been to the playoffs. And now he's like talking trash to like backup Knicks forwards. It's just how far guys fall in the league. But, um, one thing I I'll say, I really like, and this was a guy I kind of wanted the Suns to target, but he went way earlier, uh, is Isaac Okoro. Um, I like him. And I don't know, I know that he's not there right now offensively at all, but he sort of reminds me of Victor Oladipo. He's just this sort of like built strong, ridiculously tough kind of wing two guard who, you know, I mean, he's all over the place. He's playing really hard. And when I say all over the place, I mean like defensively, like he's trying to get all over the place, not he's... He's out of control all over the place. Um, obviously, the offense is nowhere near what Oladipo was, like his all-pro height. So I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying, you know, Oladipo didn't necessarily come out as the best offensive player either. And I just, I see some comparisons there, and it would just be interesting to say, I think Oladipo's a little bigger. Um, but, you know, Okoro plays hard. Needs to learn a little bit about playing in the league. I watched him, 
you know, I mean, he did a couple, you know, he would like get a steal and then make a bad rotation and give up an open three. So, you know, there are things you have to learn about team defense when you get into the NBA. Um, but I really see the making of like, at least a really nice player. I don't know. Like, I don't, like, I guess his floor is like a Michael Kidd Gilchrist sort of, but again, smaller, he's smaller than that. But I think, I, I just, I like what I see there. I think he's the kind of guy who has more potential than maybe people are giving him um, credit for. And I think actually Jonathan uh, Givoni of uh, Draft Express, I think he said the same thing, actually, now that I think about it. Um, I was listening to him and Zach Lowe a few weeks ago. I think he said that he was the guy that he liked. Um, and so going and watching him, I can see that. You can just kind of see, like, you know, you listen to these, you know, these expert scouts who know infinitely more than I do. And, you know, I, you go watch and you can say, okay, I can see, you know, where they're coming from. Um, and so, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's just going to be, it, it makes a lot of sense as a draft pick for the Cavs because they truly have like no one who wants to defend. And now he wants to defend and they need that. And obviously you don't want your rookie to be, you know, your best defender, but, um, in this case it may be, I did one note. I, I noticed I put in my notes from just watching this game is I said, I wish I could see Obi Toppin and Isaac Okoro play together. Because you'd have Isaac Okoro be the defensive wrecking ball and Obi Toppin is the offensive wrecking ball. They kind of play the same way on opposite ends of the court. Like, Obi is just ferocious as an offensive player. And Isaac is ferocious as a defensive player. And I just think they'd be really interesting together. But they were fun to watch going against each other. Um, on, on that note with Obi Toppin, like, I've heard a lot of people talking about, you know, we've all talked about he's got this offensive. He's, you know, he can leap. The Amari Stoudemire. Questions about the defense ball. We've already, but one thing I didn't hear a ton about is like, this guy can pass. Like, he can pass. Like, I've seen him throw a couple of passes that like shocked me. Like, he whipped, he, he caught one inbounds pass and like volleyballed it right off his hands directly into the post. I saw another one where he caught the ball off a pick. This was in a previous game and he whipped it into the corner. Like, he, I've heard a lot about him from different people, but I don't feel like I've heard anyone talking about, like, he could be a really nice passer. Like, what if you added a little Nikola Jokic to that? And again, I know the defensive liabilities are a problem, but that changes his trajectory or what he can be. Like, if he could really pass, I mean, he could play off the dribble. Like, he's... Like, he, he is good. And, you know, a lot of people, my, I was skeptical too because it's like, yeah, he was at Dayton and he's 22 and we didn't get to see him in a tournament. So it's like, eh, you know, I, I understand those things. But when you then just go watch him play, and I know it's, again, it's against the Cavs and I understand it. But when you just, when you just watch, you can just see my man Jabari, um, Jabari, uh, Dave, Jabari Ali Davis, um, he does the Dunks and Discourse podcast. He said to me on Twitter, um, about Taylor Horton Tucker, actually, you know when a guy can just play. Like, even if it's preseason, even if it's against G League, you can tell when a guy can play. 
And you can see that Obi Toppin can play. And I feel like I've talked about him on every episode right now. I'm like, I'm like sitting here making fun of the Knicks and I'm just like, Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin. I do think though, Obi Toppin is probably going to be like a nice rookie of the year kind of pick because he plays for the Knicks, which means he has national exposure. He's going to get tons of points on a bad team. Like if you're looking for good rookie of the year odds outside of like, you know, Anthony Edwards and LaMelo and stuff, like I think Obi Toppin is, Pretty good bet. Um, one other thing with the Knicks is, like, I'm really worried about the R.J. Barrett thing. Like, I just don't really see it. Um, like, watching this game, he's, like, standing around for the most part. And I know it's preseason, but it's, like, it's one thing to stand around in the preseason when you're LeBron. And you've, like, just come off a title. And you've got literally nothing to prove. And I'm watching R.J. Barrett, and, like, he's, you know, standing. And, you know, he made some shots, and... And then he goes and, like, cooks a G League dude. I, I don't know. It just – I'm not saying he can't, but I really feel like there's got to be more aggression there. And he's got to move more without the ball, be more in the flow of the off. And hopefully Tibbs can get that stuff out of him. You know, that would be – I know that he has never really been one for player development. But that would be – he just needs to be more aggressive because I just sit there and watch and, you know, I'm not saying it can't happen. I, I see the shot and, you know, again, I mean, he can throw it down. He's got, he's got the skills. He's got the moves. You just want to see him be more aggressive. And, you know, I think that's something that you're going to look for throughout the season. And I think, you know, hopefully for the Knicks fans, at least playing with a guy like Obi Toppin is, you know, infectious and he, you know, really, Gets that going, but it'll be interesting to see. I watched some of the Bulls Thunder game, um, and for all of the ragging I was doing on the Bulls, like they looked a lot better. <laughs> like they finally looked like sort of a cohesive team at times. Um, you know, I mean, before that, I I truly had no idea what the hell they were doing at all. Like I had no clue. What the point of the offense was, I had no... I just truly couldn't see it. I was baffled. Um, in this game, I watched specifically because I wanted to see Pokashevsky and Patrick Williams. And, um, you know... The, thing, the things I took away from this game really had nothing to do with Pat Williams. Like, I mean, he's a good rebounder. I can see the frame... He looks like he's going to be a solid defender. Um, he made some nice rotations, some nice closeouts. Um, but on offense, he was scared, really. He just gave the ball up immediately. Um, you know, he would handle the ball a little bit in transition. I, You know, it just... I... There just wasn't a whole... Like, nothing really stood out. And I'm not really... He wasn't bad. He just wasn't... You know, he just kind of blended into the game. Now, again, he did well on defense, and that is important. And I think it was more expected that he was going to be good on defense to begin. But when you see a guy come off the bench in college and, you know, he doesn't even average 10 points a game, and then you come in as, you know, a top five pick and you have all these expectations, like I think, you know, a lot of that stuff is going to be misguided because he really is looking to fit in right now. Um, and it was funny watching Otto Porter, who at times has been more of a glue guy, 
was really just getting out there and trying to cook. And he was doing all right. Um, some of the other stuff I took away from this game, though, um, and by the way, that's not to say that Pat Williams can't become great or anything like that. It just thus far, you know, whatever it was that jumped out at him for or jumped out for the Bulls about him that led them to draft him so high, haven't seen it yet. They do look better as a team. Um, two other notes on the Bulls. Man, I really feel like we've been too hard on Zach Levine. Because I know he's a defensive liability. I know I know all the negative things about him. But if you just if you just stop like if you just take off the Zach Levine, just take the name off the jersey, just just take the face just watch him shoot the ball. Watch him get buckets in the myriad of ways he does it. He is driving to the hoop throwing down dunks. He is hitting triples from the corner. He is cooking dudes in the mid-range. I don't think... I really feel like we're ignoring how good Zach Levine is on offense. Like, like why is Buddy Heald talked about so much and Zach Levine is, like, such a negative? Like, I don't... Like, is Buddy Heald a better defender? Is he, is he like... Five to six million a year better defender than Zach Levine? Probably not. Uh, you know, but Levine just, just like if you just took the name off and just watch him play, I really think that people have been hating on him too much. You need guys who can just score. And the guy can just score from everywhere. He's awesome. He's just a great offensive player. Um, he kind of reminds me of like Danny Granger, like, it's just buckets on one end and unfortunately buckets on the other end too. And I, again, I know he needs to improve defensively. I'm not saying he, he, that's not true, but I just think, I think we go way too far. Like it's not like he's making 40 million a year. Like he's making 20 million and he's a guaranteed bucket. How is that like a disaster? It's really not. Like I can think of a lot of people in much worse situations. And so I really kind of think we've gone a little too far the other way on him. And so, you know, we need to just reel it in. The one person I've gone too far praising that maybe I should not have been is Lowry Markinen. And my love for Lowry goes back to the University of Arizona. I'm a University of Arizona fan. And, you know, I mean, we loved him. And I really thought he was going to be a star in the NBA. Because, you know, I really felt like his shooting was going to translate well. And, I mean, it just, I mean, he's a good shooter, it seems. But it just, the shot isn't going in enough. And, you know, it's one of those things that you're like, oh, well, he's a better shooter than his numbers say. You know, maybe not. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I worry a little bit. Now... He goes off the dribble when things aren't working. He can put it down and get to the rim. Lowry's a good player. And I I kind of feel this is a confidence thing. And I also kind of feel it has to do with the organization. Because, like, they keep bringing in... Like, okay, they draft Lowry Markinen. Then you draft Wendell Carter. Then you bring in Jabari Parker. Then you, you know, draft Pat Williams. Like, it's like, who is the power forward? Who is the center? Like, 
I'm not saying Pat Williams is going to play power forward or center, but he certainly could end up being like more of a four. And I just don't, I don't know. I don't know what the Bulls commitment is to Lowry Markinen or what they tell him. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily matter what you tell a guy. What matters is what you do publicly or how you face the world. Now I heard, we saw different reports this off season that said like the Bulls like, Lowry, more than one Del Carter. Again, you know, this just depends on who you believe. But the point is that he, I, it looks like he's lost his confidence at times because he's, you know, just the shot is not falling. Now he is still shooting. The one thing you don't want shooters to do is not shoot. It's fine to change up what you do. If you want to drive to the rim because the three's not falling, that's positive. If you want to just keep raining triples because you're a shooter, that's fine. So the one good thing about it is that I don't see him shying away from the ball. We don't want to see that because that kind of loss of confidence can be crippling. It's something that sort of happened with Lonzo Ball. Like Lonzo doesn't want to shoot at times and he's gotten better about it. But there were times where he like just literally didn't want to shoot the ball. And so you don't want to see that happen with Lowry and it really hasn't. But I do think if he had... I mean, it's got to be easier to play when you know you're standing within the organization. And I do think that could improve this year. The one thing we got to give Billy Donovan is that, you know, I mean, looking at last season, Chris Paul played well. You know, Shea Gillis Alexander played well. But, you know, Lou Dort played well. Darius Baisley played all right in the bubble. You know, Billy Donovan can seriously... You know, he can do some maneuvering here and there. I've been hard on him as a coach, but he's not garbage. And so Jim Boylan was garbage for the Bulls, like absolute 100,000% garbage. And so when you upgrade from garbage to not garbage, decent, halfway good, whatever you want to call Billy Donovan, I mean, that's got to be something. So I could see throughout the season an improvement coming with Lowry, but again, you know, as the extension approaches and all these things, you know, it's just, it's an interesting thing to watch. Truthfully. I mentioned Darius Baisley a moment ago. Um, everyone knows, you know, Lou Dort, you know, kind of showed up in the bubble and played his ass off against Harden and, you know, had the great game seven and they nearly beat the Rockets. Um, but Darius Baisley was also there. And, you know, he was a guy that, um, Jeff Van Gundy had coached, on like the, the under 18 team or something. And, uh, you know, he had talked to Zach Lowe about, uh, coaching him because he was a guy who went through, um, you know, some consideration of going to the G league route and all these things. So just an interesting guy who has kind of had an interesting route and you watch him play though. And it's like, man, he, He's got it. Like, he's he's very skinny. But, like, that shot is fluid. He's got some skills. And, like, you could see a little bit of that in the bubble. Um, but, man, like, I'm just watching a couple of the shots he hit. And you're just like, that stroke is real. Like, I I think... Sam Presti has obviously shown an ability to, I mean, he's unearthed some gems. I mean, it's not like Serge Ibaka was necessarily a top pick. Um, so, you know, and Russell Westbrook wasn't even really necessarily guaranteed. 
Um, you know, James Harden was a good college player. These guys weren't necessarily guaranteed to be stars in the NBA. Um, but they have, you know, really developed guys. And now, you know, again, they found Lou Dort. Everyone loved him. I really think Darius Baisley is special too. And then the other guys, you know, I mean, they've also got Alexei Pokashevsky, Teo Maladon. Um, Pokashevsky is so skinny. He makes Baisley look fat. Baisley is, looks like a skinny Kevin Durant. And Pokashevsky looks like an ultra skinny Baisley. <laughs> like they're just, some of these guys are so skinny, but, um, they've got, they've got touch. They've got feel. They've got shooting. Um, I don't know. Again, this team is going to win nothing this year. And these guys, they're a long way from being like really good NBA players, but like you can kind of see what the Thunder are doing is, you know, again, we're going to acquire as many picks as possible, and then we're just going to go take every lottery ticket, you know. Um, and, you know, Pokashevsky is like KG. He's so skinny, but one day he'll, you know, this, that, or the other. And Baisley shoots like Ray Allen. And, but you know, it's just, you know, you have these, you know, crazy comparisons. And it's just going to be really interesting because you can really see some talent there. And I don't know necessarily how good all those guys can be long term. Um, I don't know if there's a, you know, a franchise player among them, but there are good players on that team that can be molded into good NBA players is sort of the best way I could put it. And so, you know, the, the Thunder are going to be really interesting over the next few years. They might be fun to watch, even if they're not, you know, winning games. Because, I mean, right now, I mean, right now, truly, what are they doing? They're playing all these young guys, trying to figure out what's up. They're trying to rehab Al Horford's value to get even more picks. Like, there's not a whole lot of, you know, we're trying to win every single game. You know, you're going to see games where they're winning some and suddenly the third string guys come out because they don't want to be winning. They want to be at the bottom of the lottery. So, or the top of the lottery, however you want to look at it. In any case, there's so much talent here that it's just going to be interesting and fun to watch the question is just like, is it NBA talent? Because, you know, when you have, and obviously with Luka Doncic, it didn't matter, but, you know, Baisley didn't play college ball. Pokashevsky comes from Europe. You know, we don't have as much knowledge about how they'll play against the competition they're playing against now. But, you know, sometimes it works out just fine. It's definitely going to be interesting, though. Like, if you're interested in watching, like, prospect-oriented up-and-coming kind of basketball, you know, or like if you're the kind of person who goes to AAA games, for example, the Thunder are probably the team to watch. The other game that I was truly obsessed with, obviously, um, was Lakers and Suns. There was no question that I was obviously going to be obsessed with this game. Um, we knew that LeBron really wouldn't care in this one. He really didn't. He was, you know, jogging a lot shooting casual jumpers. He worked on his Michael Jordan mid-range fadeaway. Hit a, he hit a bunch of those. Um, he was just, you know, he was doing the the double turn and everything. Just classic LeBron shit. He was having, you know, they're having a good time out there. AD is, you know, doing AD stuff. Um, the Lakers ended up coming back and winning. It was an interesting game full of streaks and runs. Um, really, in the end, you know, the Lakers kind of bench beat the thun the Suns really third string. Um but I do, you know, I, I I saw a lot in this game 
that made me feel really good about the Suns. Um, and even good about them against the Lakers, honestly. I do think, I honestly feel, and again, I'm not trying to be a hater. Like, I feel like people are going to think that, but I don't, I don't like the Lakers bench as much as other people do. And Marcus Gasol didn't really look spectacular last night. Wes Matthews is kind of, eh. I really think that Taylor, Taylor Horton Tucker, Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be the one who honestly, that guy really will matter for them this season. He is going to be the guy who I think on the bench is going to need to help them score. Because I just don't think Wes Matthews is going to do a lot of that. And, you know, Caruso is athletic as hell and a solid defender, but not someone who can generate a ton. You know, he can throw down a dunk, can make a shot, but he's not someone who's going to generate a ton of offense. And Taylor Horton Tucker really can do a little bit of everything. Um, so I think, you know, I, I said... I, I said on Twitter, I think that THT is going to be more important to the Lakers season than Wes Matthews is, and I believe that. Um, and so it's just going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But I don't, again, I just don't love the Lakers' depth or bench as much as everyone else does. They're going to be fine. They're still the favorites. It's not that. It's just that everyone's talking about them like running away with everything. I don't see that. If AD misses 15 games, when LeBron sits, they're going to have trouble. Like, I don't really... The Montrez Harold thing, like, he looked kind of lost a couple of times. Now, when he, like, went at Jalen Smith, the Suns rookie forward, he, like, made a... He took a spin move right at him, went right by him. And that's the question with Jalen is, can he guard those fours? So we know that, you know, Trez is going to be able to cook those dudes who are, you know, just coming into the league or who are lesser than him. But I don't know, like, the whole thing about him carrying the offense when, you know, the Clippers guys were sitting or whatever um, was really based on just what an incredible shooter Lou Williams was and what incredible pick-and-roll chemistry those two had together. And I don't know who he's going to have that chemistry with. Like, Schroeder is not Lou Williams as a shooter. Schroeder the shooter? Ha ha. Um, he's a really good passer. He's obviously a better defender than Lou Williams. But, you know, the Montrez Harrell thing, again, I really, if I'm spending my entire mid-level exception, I'm trying to spend it on someone who can play next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the court at the end of the finals. And I know that, I know that it's not easy to find those guys, but like, it's much easier to find a guard that can play the, next to those two than it is a forward slash center was like six seven. I just I don't understand some of the moves. So I do think that when they have the units that are Anthony Davis plus bench, I think they could struggle to score a little bit. And I do think that they were able to generate a ton of transition buckets because of how good JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard were on defense. And I'm not sure that they're gonna have that this year. Now again, you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you're gonna be fine. But watching this game I just don't feel, like, thrilled about the Lakers bench. Everyone is like, oh, they're so much better. They're so this. Yes, they're good. But I I don't. And maybe, again, maybe through time and chemistry, I'll just be wrong. Maybe they'll just be fine. But I just don't. I don't know. I just have this. I just see, I really think that if we, when we dig into the advanced numbers this season, we're going to see that the Lakers bench struggles. That's what I think. 
as far as the Suns go, um, you know, Booker didn't have the greatest shooting night, but I mean, he still looks, you know, I mean, he was cooking dudes all over the place, getting open. He did hit a few ridiculous step back shots and it's coming off screens. You know, it's really clear that watching this game, though, it's clear like we're not a pushover anymore. Like, we were leading early and we're hitting open triples. Yes, I'm saying we. Shut up. Deal with it. And the Suns are hitting open triples. Things are working. That's not going to go perfectly all the time, obviously. But this is a scenario in which, you know, the Lakers, this Lakers team versus, you know, your typical Suns team they over the last whatever, this team would just walk right through them. And that's not the case anymore. And I know that the Lakers were bad for a long time, blah, blah, blah. My point is that this is a new era of Suns basketball. And you can tell that this is a real NBA team, finally. And you can see the chemistry. Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton have real chemistry. Booker and Ayton obviously have chemistry. Chris Paul and Jay Crowder have chemistry. There is real... There is there is a real connection between these guys. There are still certain... Every now and then a pass goes where you know Chris Paul expects a guy to be and he's not there. There are still some connections that need to be made, obviously. But the biggest thing is that Devin Booker doesn't have to do everything now. And he can fly around off ball and get buckets and just find ways to get shots without having to carry the load all the time. And it's not like he can't or won't have the ball. He will still obviously have the ball often. And he can cook dudes all over the place. We know what Devin Booker can do. But when he doesn't always have to run the offense and do all the scoring, it's a fucking game changer. And not only that, but when he sits, it's the Chris Paul show. And Chris Paul is just still incredible. The passes he throws, I mean, what can you say? But watching Chris Paul hit Jay Crowder for wing triples, like, honestly, those two dudes, that is going to be a great go-to play. And those two already have just the veteran chemistry. They just know where they should be. And this just lets Booker be a closer. You know? This lets Booker end the game. Not that he's not going to score in the first half, but it just... It lets him focus on just scoring. Be Kobe. Right? Just get out there and get fucking buckets. And that is what he's going to be able to do now. And by the way, you know who else can do that is DeAndre fucking Ayton. My God. My God. DeAndre Ayton was a ferocious monster in this game. Seriously. He was... So good in this game. He hit fadeaways. He threw down unbelievable dunks. He had a one-move slick hook shot. He's driving to the rim and getting free throws. Like, DeAndre Ayton seems to understand now. What is at stake? You have got to play your ass off. And you have got to do everything. Because if you do, we're going to be in contention. If Ayton takes his game to another level, and Chris Paul is Chris Paul. And Devin Booker is Devin Booker. Suddenly, this team is scary. And you look around that. You look at the fringes. 
Mikael Bridges was annoying the hell out of LeBron James last night. It's not like Mikael Bridges can stop LeBron. It's not like he can even really slow him down, but he can annoy him. He can make him work harder than he wants to. And Mikael is capable of that. Unlimited energy and the longest arms I've ever seen. Mikael Bridges is a special dude. And it's, again, no one can stop LeBron. But if you can just make him work a little bit harder, that's truly something. Damian Jones is interesting. I didn't really think a whole lot of that signing, and I think I'm wrong about that. I'm interested to see how the backup center position goes between him and Sarge, because the Sun really, Suns really love Sarge as a backup center, as like a stretch five. But the Suns need interior size. And I'll tell you what, Damian Jones, I mean, he flies and he lives at the rim. It's very interesting. I don't know what kind of minutes he's going to get, but it could, we could see Damian Jones get some minutes, especially when we're playing bigger teams. Because his ability to fly in and throw down an offensive rebound or, um, I mean, just be big. I mean, we forget sometimes like how valuable just having a monstrously tall dude is at times. You know, just having someone big and, you know, no one, you know, Aiton is obviously the premier guy, but Sars got pushed around a little bit. It's just going to be interesting to see what Damian Jones do. I don't know that he can really hang with those guys either, but he's had a few really nice plays this preseason that make you want to look at it. Let me put it that way. So, I mean, I'm hyped. I'm hyped. I'm, I'm hyped about the Suns. There were a lot of open threes. They started like 6 of 21 from three. So, you know, it wasn't the greatest shooting night. But the fact that they were getting tons of open threes from the offense, it bodes really well. Booker's flying around. Aiton is setting rough screens and rolling. Chris Paul is, you know, again, he's dishing great assists. The The whole... The offense is getting to the next level. The Suns led the league in free throw shooting, free throw percentage last year and assists. Shout to Ricky Rubio. This is a team that has an evolving offense that is becoming more complex. And having Chris Paul there allows it to have even more structure because now you have a coach on the floor, basically literally. And the Suns are going to be, like, we're so used to the Suns of old. Like, I'm so used to a team that was so heavily isolation, isolation, isolation. And before that, it was every play is a pick and roll. Every play is a pick and roll. You know, dating back to, like, the D'Antoni days. And now, this is a real NBA team with a mo, you know, you've got a motion offense. You've got more different concepts mixed in. we got pick and roll, obviously. And then you've just got the Devin Booker show when things aren't working. Or the DeAndre Ayton show, as the case may be. And suddenly you start to see where all these pieces fit together towards a championship team. And I am excited. The stuff I worry about, the big deal was, can Jalen Smith guard these bigger dudes? He made some decent rotations last night. Um, he always closed out fairly well um, to the three-point line. But like I said, Trez went just like right around him on one play. So I don't know where Jalen Smith is at defending those bigs. And that's going to be where it comes in. Because when, I mean, Cam Johnson honestly has done a good job defending. And DeAndre Ayton has made leaps and bounds as a defender. And we know what Jay Crowder can do as a defender. So 
it's going to come down to what do Jalen Smith, Dario Saric, and again, potentially Damian Jones, what do those guys bring in terms of backup big defense? Because if it's if the answer is nothing or not much, the Suns are going to be in the market looking to upgrade that. Because as far as people tried to say that the big man was dead in the NBA and it was all over, these past playoffs proved how important the big man is. And one thing I said on my previous, you know, the other show that's available on YouTube, those, it's like 12 episodes I did before building the studio. Uh, one thing I said there is that as the NBA sort of shifted towards smaller guys, certain teams shifted towards big men. You know, the Lakers went as big as they possibly could last year and they won a championship. And, you know, the whole warrior small ball thing, while the Raptors countered it by going big and Marcus Gasol was a big piece in them winning a championship. And you weren't going to be able to get through the West last year without having someone who could deal with Nikola Jokic. Well, Anthony Davis is the anti-Jokic for the Lakers, and they shut him down. But the Clippers couldn't even handle it, and Montrez Harrell was destroyed by Nikola Jokic. So you need, especially now, you need guys who can handle those bigs. Because the NBA is really becoming a game of matchups. Football has always been a game of matchups, right? We have a good rushing offense. They've got a terrible running defense. We're going to run the ball all day. But the NBA is getting more and more matchup oriented where you're going deeper into your bench. And it's not just like, oh, we've got the most talent. You know, we're going to win this game. Yes, talent usually just wins out, right? LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I understand that. But, you know, Boban Marjanovic will have nights where he scores 30 and nights where he can't even play on the floor because of the matchups. And that's, Really what it's boiling down to these days is that as you get into the playoffs, you need, I need a guy to fight Jokic. I need a guy to throw at Jokic. I need a guy to throw at Joel Embiid. I need a guy to throw at Anthony Davis. And again, you don't stop these people, right? You don't slow them down. You don't, you just make them work harder than they want to. And maybe if they work harder than they want to, maybe they're more likely to miss a few shots at the end of the game. All you can do is work your ass off against these guys. And the Suns have three guys who it's going to be their job to fight for those minutes. Now, we know Saric is first in line. He got the three-year contract, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get all of the backup five minutes. Especially because, you know, he could, again, end up playing some backup four next to someone. I mean, we just don't know how all that goes. I think... Dario Sarge gets the majority of minutes at backup five. But when you're playing some of these bigger teams, how does he fare there? That's really where it's going to boil down to. Because in the playoffs, those little things, like those five minutes where you're playing with your backup lineup on the court and only one starter or something, like those minutes can decide the game. Because you might have a 10-point run and all of these little things on the fringes matter. And what the Suns have done, what Jalen Smith does provide is shooting. He hasn't shot necessarily super well in the preseason, but I think you can see the stroke. And with Cam Johnson, Jalen Smith, Langston Galloway, Etwan Moore, these guys can shoot. And none of them, none of those guys are really going to be starters. So when you add, obviously, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, suddenly you realize the Suns have like eight guys who are capable of shooting like 34% or better from three. And a few of those guys are capable of hitting 40% or better. One of them, Devin Booker, is capable of hitting like, who knows what heights. Booker can probably hit like 45% from three one year. But on the regular, 
He's definitely going to hit 36 to 40% from three. Jay Crowder, the same thing. Mikhail Bridges, probably the same thing. So you've got tons. And now Javon Carter has become a dead-eye shooter too, by the way, which, uh, and with all the open looks you're getting, these things are going to go well. The Suns are going to be able to score a lot. And I think they're going to be a lot better defensively than they real than people realize. But it will boil down to where does that interior defense? How do you defend the rim when DeAndre Ayton is sitting? Can you defend the rim when DeAndre Ayton is sitting? Because if you just can't do it at all, then I don't know. Jalen Smith, I don't know about the defense yet. That was the question coming in. I think it's still a pretty big question right now. As far as offense goes, yeah, the shot looks like he's got a good stroke. He's got no dribble drive game. He either shoots the ball or passes. He looks a little bit scared at times. He does make quick decisions. The whole .5 thing, Jalen Smith adheres to that. If he doesn't have a shot, he's giving the ball up right away. He does a pretty good job of moving without the ball, but he could be more active. But I think the bigger point is, if you're trying to go to the playoffs and you're trying to be a playoff team and you're trying to win a playoff series, the idea that you're going to rely on a rookie backup to do that and be your backup big, it's not that likely. So what we should expect more from him this season is shooting. And that's where I look at, again, Dario Saric, and that's why I say Damian Jones. Because I think those things, all of these things intersect and come back to each other. And so it's just going to be interesting to see how those things play out. I think the Suns are going to be able to fly with all of the small ball teams. And I think that when Aiton's on the court, they're going to be fine banging with the bigger teams. But you're going to miss the loss. You're going to miss Aaron Baines. And I think there will be people who should have, who are going to say that they should have kept Baines over Saric. But age and health concerns are part of that too. Not that Saric was necessarily always healthy or even part of the rotation, but you know, we know that Baines has had some various health concerns and he is a little older. Toronto isn't worried about that. Um, I would have loved for the Suns to have found a way to keep Baines, but this is the situation that we're in. So I just think it could be interesting what Damian Jones brings to the table. And, you know, we're going to see how this season goes. Can Jalen improve on defense? Can he get bigger? Can Aiton be such a destructive force on defense that the Suns are able to, 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 you know, survive the minutes that he sits? And really, truly, can he be that destructive on offense as well? And then as far as tonight goes, um, probably not going to watch a whole ton of Raiders Chargers, to be honest with you. Again, um, it's just not that interesting of a game. It's more of a looking at next year kind of game. I'm interested in uh, watching the Hornets game to see LaMelo. I want to watch uh, the T-Wolves game for Anthony Edwards, obviously, and then the Wizards for Denny Avdia. Assuming they all play, of course, you never know with preseason. Anthony Edwards, um, I wasn't really hyped on him in college, honestly. Like, I watched a little bit, and I didn't really I didn't really understand the number one overall pick hype. It kinda, he kind of reminds me of Andrew Wiggins in terms of, like, he doesn't always have the motor going and doesn't always have hyperspeed going. And I was a little surprised at that pick. When you see some of the physical stuff, like some of his like actual measurables, and you can understand it's like, wow, he's like like physically incredible. Um, but you know, I wasn't so hyped on him, so I want to see how it goes. Um, 
there's a lot going on externally with the Timberwolves organization right now. Obviously, with all of you know, Carl Anthony Thomas has, or excuse me, Carl Anthony Towns had so many, um, you know, people pass away from COVID. There's a lot going on there, so it's hard to know what's what. But um, you know, just as an organization, their hearts are heavy. You know, there's a lot going on, so it's we don't want to come down on anyone too soon. Um, but it's just definitely going to be interesting to see if the Wiggins comparison, which other people have made, I'm not trying to say I invented that, um, but it's just curious if that comparison is realistic or if Anthony Edwards truly does have more that we just haven't seen. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show on a Thursday. Thursday Night Football is tonight. Check out some NBA preseason. You can watch the first half. It's still fun. It's still basketball. They're still playing hard. We are so close to the start of the regular season. I can taste it. I can't wait. I'm sad the Suns didn't get a Christmas game. I really want the Suns to get a Christmas Day game. But at the very least, it means I can be just enjoying basketball, I guess, on Christmas and not having to have that Christmas ruined by a potential tough game or something like that. Like uh, or like when Roger Mason hit the three on Christmas and ruined my Christmas when the Spurs beat the Suns. That was one of the worst days of my life. So, yeah, maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll just take that as a Christmas gift. But see, the thing is, I believe the Suns would win. I believe. I believe in the team. <laughs> we will be back tomorrow. And by we, I mean you and me, the listener. I love you. Goodbye.